Hello, and welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Messer, and today we're speaking with Judge Richard Cooch of the Cooch family that we've been talking so much about these past couple weeks. Uh, and he has generously offered to discuss with us how long his family has been in Delaware and what they've accomplished. So, Judge Cooch, can I turn it over to you? How long has your family been in Delaware? Well, my uh, ancestor, Thomas Cooch, uh, emigrated to Delaware to Cooch's Bridge uh, from England with his family in 1746. He came over with his wife, uh, Sarah, and his two children, Thomas Cooch Jr. and Elizabeth Cooch. Uh, the, he built the house, at, he bought the land in 1746. We think he probably lived in a smaller wooden house because he built the present uh, house in 1760. And it was enlarged by his grandson, William Cooch, in the 1830s. And uh, then again, the third floor added in the 1860s by his great-grandson, Levi Griffith Cooch. The eight generations of our family have lived in the house. So uh, in terms of length of Cooch family being in Delaware, if my arithmetic is correct, it would be 275 years. Wow, that's uh, quite a long time. In all of that time... How has your family been involved in the Battle of Cooch's Bridge, which we discussed earlier on this podcast? Yes. Um, uh, Colonel Thomas Cooch was a colonel with the Newcastle County Militia in 1777. His son, Thomas Cooch Jr., had enlisted in a battalion in Newcastle County in 1776, a year before the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. 300 of the 480 uh, soldiers in that battalion mutinied in late 1776. But Thomas Cooch Jr. Um, answered, quote, I am ready and willing to march, unquote. What exactly his service was, we don't know. Which takes us to the third generation. By tradition, William Cooch, who was age 15 at the time of the Battle of Cooch's Bridge, ran away from home shortly after the battle and enlisted at that young age. He may have ended up a prisoner of war in England. So, uh, continuing with how our family was involved with the Battle of Cooch's Bridge, um, Thomas Cooch got out of Dodge in that he fled to Lancaster, Pennsylvania after the British landed at Head of Elk to begin their invasion and capture of Philadelphia. Everybody in um, Cecil County and Newcastle County, especially western Newcastle County, were fleeing. Their reports of roads just clogged with carts and horses and wagons. Um, his granddaughter, Elizabeth Cooch, um, took a mirror uh, with her to Lancaster, so family tradition holds, saying, quote, the British shan't have this, unquote. So when the battle happened, there was nobody in the house. General Maxwell, who commanded the American troops at Cooch's Bridge, had occupied the house shortly before the battle. Then, uh, British General Lord Cornwallis occupied the house right after the battle, which took place on September 3, uh, 1777. By tradition, he stabled uh, his horses because they were a valuable commodity in the living room of the house. My grandfather... Edward W. Cooch has written that older members of the family told him they, he was born in 1876, 
that they saw hoof prints in the living room floor, but there was a fire in the cellar in the during the Civil War, and the floorboards had to be replaced. Um, Cornwallis, um, by tradition, uh, drank up the uh, Colonel Thomas Cooch's rum. Um, he burned the uh, Thomas Cooch's mill because Thomas Cooch was a miller as well as other activities, and that mill supplied grain to the Continental Army. Uh, when our family, meaning my immediate family, my father, Edward Cooch Jr., moved out to Cooch's Bridge uh, after my grandmother died, um, he hung uh, a print of Cornwallis surrendering to General Washington in Yorktown in 1781. That, my father said, was to exact some sort of revenge or payback <laughs> to uh, Cornwallis for occupying the house. And to conclude our family's involvement, the Battle of Cooch's Bridge, um, about um, 25 years or so ago, our son, uh, Richard Cooch Jr., um, was um, looking at a cannonball from Cooch's Bridge that a Cooch cousin had given to me many years ago. It was on a bookcase. It rolled off, this heavy cannonball did, and landed on his uh, foot. There was immediately an angry purple bruise. Um, and we, my wife and I took him immediately to the hospital. Turned out that no broken bones. The bruise went away uh, pretty quickly and all was fine. Um, but we've always referred to that infant as the last casualty of the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. <laughs> well, I'm so. glad he turned out all right. Um, what sort of activities and industries has your family been involved in? Well, it's always been a farm, um, and my uh, family has uh, always uh, farmed the land. Uh, they're interested in experimental agriculture and trying new techniques, and we've found in the attic all kinds of 19th century books on experimental agriculture, etc. Um, there was an orchard, and we have posters uh, from it, uh, saying, um, Cooch, uh, Iron Cooch's Buy apples from the Cooch farm with a famous Iron Hill flavor. They've also been millers. When Thomas Cooch bought the property uh, in 1746, he bought also a 1720s dam and a 1720s, don't know the exact date, mill race. Um, there was another um, mill that William Cooch's grandson built in 1792. Um, right across the streams because the British had burned the original mill. And then an 1830s mill, now called Cooch Dive Mill, south of Old Baltimore Pike, uh, was built. So they were heavily in the milling industry for uh, well over 100 years. Families also been involved a lot in politics and public service. Um, they held a number of government offices and civic positions. Um, Two generations of my family served in the state state senate, one in the House of Representatives. My grandfather, Edward W. Cooch, was lieutenant governor. His father was president of the Constitutional Convention in uh, the Delaware Constitutional Convention of 1897, which came up with our present constitution. And a number of family members have gone uh, bench. Um, 
Colonel Thomas Cooch was a judge appointed by Governor John Penn of the Court of Common Pleas, but he wasn't a lawyer. You did not have to be um, a um, lawyer in those days to be a judge of the Court of Common Pleas. That's pretty much what our family has uh, done while anchored to the farm at Cooch's Bridge. So the farm at Cooch's Bridge, as we all know, has been preserved very extensively. Could you sort of explain how that's come to happen as it's been in your family for so long? Well, yes. Um, it's kind of a long story, um, but I'll give you the uh, short version. Uh, I'd like to start off with this. It's more than an anecdote. It's a, a happening, which is this. My great uncle named Levi Hollingsworth Cooch inherited the farm from his father about 1917. In 1918, he unexpectedly died without a will and with two minor children. By law, the entire farm and the house had to be exposed to public auction through the Orphan's Court uh, in Wilmington. Um, my grandfather, Cooch, very much wanted to uh, purchase the farm, live there, and keep it in the family. Um, we have found um, his handwritten notes from 1919, that was the year of the auction, whereby uh, he sort of tried to plot his strategy, you know, at the auction, etc. But who knows what's ever going to happen at a public auction or a sheriff's sale. I can only imagine that he drove into Wilmington on that day in 1919 to the courthouse with his heart in his throat somewhat, wondering what would happen. And there was a lawyer who he knew, my grandfather was also a lawyer, um, who had as a client, we believe, to be the then president of the Atlas Powder Company. Um, the lawyer was prepared to bid on the house and the entire farm, about 500 acres there, including going up to the top of Iron Hill, uh, for his client. But when he saw my uh, father, grandfather, excuse me, um, wanted to buy it, to keep it in the family, he refused to bid for his client. We found um, uh, newspaper uh, advertisements of that, of 1919, saying, Coach Farm, available for subdivision, um, to be sold at public auction. But Grandfather was the successful bidder, luckily, for Stark Preservation. And I've said that a Stark Preservation is sometimes a matter of determination, and sometimes it's a matter of chance. At Cooch's Bridge, it's been both. Um, and in terms of how it's been preserved for so many years, maybe the first 150 years, it was a completely rural uh, area. The old Baltimore Pike was a dirt road until the 1920s. But our family has always been conscious of the farm being the site of the only Revolutionary War battle in Delaware. Um, there was a newspaper article around 1900 in the Wilmington newspaper that said, J. Wilkins Coach, that's my great-grandfather, is the only man in Delaware who owns his own battlefield. Um, but every generation of our family, especially one since maybe the, starting with the middle of the 19th century, has been very conscious of its history and determined to preserve it. Among the other things, and I know Wade Katz in his uh, earlier podcasts about the Battle of Cooch's 
Bridge, described it as, quote, hallowed ground, unquote. And I completely agree, because it's thought that as many as two dozen American soldiers um, were killed and were likely buried and still remain somewhere on the farm or nearby. Um, now, in terms of its preservation, our family over many, many years has written books and articles about the battle. Uh, we've spoken often to groups of one kind or another about the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. We've hosted events, reenactments, and welcomed groups to the house. Um, our family members have always been involved in all kinds of organizations, including historical uh, organizations. I was co-chair in 1977 of the 200th anniversary reenactment. Um, there were thousands of people there for that reenactment. It was on Labor Day weekend, which says something also, 1777. Um, and the Old Pike was closed off, and after ceremonies on the lawn in front of the house, everybody trooped over, I guess pun intended, uh, to the other side of the bridge in a field where the reenactment took place. We're now gearing up for the 200, well, slowly but surely, gearing up for the 250th anniversary of the battle, which will take place on September 3, 2025. Over the years, the public and the state has uh, uh, encouraged and, and uh, preservation efforts. They're always private um, until... When in 2002, my father placed conservation easements on almost the entire farm, which um, are very strict and prohibit building on the property. We just made a decision as a family. We never wanted to develop the property, and that made it easier. Um, I might add in terms of preservation that in the 1980s, our family sold at a discounted sale about 200 acres on Iron Hill to Newcastle County with similar deed restrictions. It could be used for just passive recreational purposes as a park. And before Route 896 was um, built in 1938, the farm stretched straight from Cooch's Bridge at the bridge up to the top of Iron Hill, but Route 896 bisected the farm. In speaking of preservation, in 2002, at the same time my father put on conservation easements, the state was given, it was, you know, all part of documents that were negotiated, etc., a right of first refusal to acquire the property if our family chose not to reside there. Well, my father, Edward W. Kuchin, who worked hard uh, all his life at many things, um, but one of them was... Um, working to preserve Coach's Bridge, died in 2010. My sister and I, she's Ann Cooch Doran, who with her family lived in Massachusetts, made the difficult decision, but we think the right one, to sell the house after so many years in the family to the state who wanted to purchase it. So the house and 10 acres around it were sold in 2019. My sister and I still own about 170 acres right at the intersection of farm is of 896 and I-95. Because we thought and still do, the state is just in a much better position than any private family could ever be to interpret the entirety of the site, including Cooch Diet Mill, the entirety of the farm, 
inviting people onto the property, etc. So that, in a nutshell, um, is uh, more or less how the property has been preserved through determination and a little bit of chance, as I said. Well, you certainly have a long legacy of preservation. I'm actually glad you circled back a little bit to the Battle of Kutu's Bridge. So I wanted to ask you a question that's come up in my research, uh, which is, what was the Battle of Kutu's Bridge truly the first battle that flew Betsy's Ross, Betsy Ross's flag? I've seen that claimed a little bit on some sources and other sources refute it. So I'd, like if, I'd love if you give a definitive answer for us. Well, I'll do my best to give you an unbiased answer. Uh, and uh, it was thought at about the turn of the last century, around 1900, that that was definitely the site where the, Amer- where the Betsy Ross flag was first flown in battle. And here's the short uh, summary of why that was thought at the time. Um, the Betsy Ross flag, and I might add that my grandfather, Cooch, thought that was the case. And when he wrote a book called The Battle of Cooch's Bridge, um, in 1940, he devoted a chapter to, quote, the flag controversy, unquote, where he summarized the then existing evidence. Now, by way of background, here's the argument in support of the claim. The Betsy Ross flag was adopted by Congress on June 14, 1777. June 14th is now known as Flag Day. There were no major battles fought in the summer of 1777 um, before the Battle of Cushitsbridge. There were some, the Battle of Bennington, Battle of Fort Stanley, but it's never been established that the flag was flown there. The British had left New York City in July of 1777 with a giant flotilla of slip ships. They went down south to Cape Charles, Virginia and up the Chesapeake Bay. They landed uh, at the Head of Elk and began their march toward Philadelphia. And that's where, as I said earlier, everybody, including the Cooch family, well, not everybody, but most probably, fled. So there were, Washington rushed his troops from outside of New York City down toward Wilmington. And as we went to Philadelphia, reports say that the new Stars and Stripes being carried by the troops uh, was a deeply stirring sight, or words uh, to that effect. Now, the same troops that fought at Cooch's Bridge on September 3, 1777, were the same troops, or a lot of them were, who fought at the much larger Battle of Brandywine on September 11, 1777. And it made sense that, um, at least it did to my grandfather and others at the time, that those troops would logically have, if they carried the Cooch's Bridge, you know, if they fought it, if the battle, if the fly was first flown at the Battle of Brandywine, it made sense that it was fought by, carried by the same troops at the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. Now, uh, this claim was apparently first made about this flag being first flown, not until the late 19th century, when an editor of a Wilmington newspaper in the 1890s wrote an article urging J. Wilkins Cooch who lived there to erect a flagpole to commemorate that. So he did. Um, around 1900, a committee of scholars um, studying whether or not the Battle of the Brandywine 
had use of the American Betsy Ross, why concluded that it did. Um, and I think that same group said something to the effect, this is a typical florid language of the era, uh, Battle of Brandywine surrenders this claim to that of Coote's Bridge. A monument was erected um, in 1901 right in front of the house on the old Baltimore Pike with four cannons around it, and it stated unequivocally that the flag was first flown there. But, the UT, <laughs> recent scholarship has Cost, has, has cast real doubt on the claim, if not conclusive doubt, that the flag was first flown at the Battle of the Brandywine. Cooch's Bridges' claim is um, pretty derivative, i.e. that the same uh, flag well, would likely have been flown, coupled also with the fact that, and I didn't mention this, um, that General Maxwell commanded 800 troops at Cooch's Bridge on the American side, all from about five or six different colonies. And it would have seemed logical to unite those troops under the newly adopted flag. But what was thought to be fact uh, around 1900 and later um, has eroded somewhat. Um, but I will, we're still looking, especially the Kush family, <laughs> for a letter or a diary entry or anything else. So the research definitely continues. Um, I would say that, trying to choose my words carefully since um, I'm in the legal field, that a respectable circumstantial evidence claim can be made that the flag was first flown in battle at the Battle of Cooch's Bridge, but whether a jury would buy that argument remains to be seen. My father used to say in his talks about the battle to groups coming to the house um, or um, at a meeting, something to the effect, quote, if the flag was not flown in Battle of Cooch's Bridge, then I asked, unquote, quote, where was it flown, unquote. And I would say to him quietly afterwards, Dad, you're really not allowed to reverse the burden of proof. <laughs> so that's where that stands. It's a legend. It may be true. Um, the... Further proof would be nice to have. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. So as we investigate that, among many other curiosities about Cooch's Bridge, the feature of the actual land, both the, the Cooch Diet Mill and Cooch's Bridge Battle Site? Well, that's going to be primarily up to the state of Delaware to decide. Um, the uh, state formed a a 501c3 organization called the Friends of Cooch's Bridge Historic Site, Inc., in 2020. Its role, and it's just getting started, is to advise the State Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs um, about how the property might be interpreted. Um, it's a nine-member board, for at least now. I'm on that board. Um, our daughter, Merritt Cooch, who lives in Rehoboth, and seven other persons are on the board of directors. It's become very active and is very ably led by its president, Vince Watchorn. We also have as a consultant, Wade Cass, um, who is as knowledgeable as anybody, and more so, I'll hasten to say, about the uh, Battle of Cooch's Bridge. But as I said, the state, not our family, will determine how Cooch's Bridge will be interpreted uh, into the family. And when I say Cooch's Bridge, I mean the entire historic which um, would include the entirety of the farm, cooch diet, mill, and 
the property not just right where the bridge crosses the Christina Creek. But I'm sure this entire story will be told. Um, unlike perhaps in you know, over the years where it's been much more just the military engagement that's been emphasized and talked about. I expect that the social history of Cooch's Bridge um, will be uh, explored and interpreted, including all persons who lived and worked on or around the property, including African Americans, including the earlier indigenous people who lived on the property before the Europeans uh, came. I'm sure I respect to be interpreted as the center of the milling industry. Um, the Delaware Nature Society has pretty intensively studied the uh, property, um, and uh, the, the property is so much of it, especially along the creek, is in the pretty much the exact same state as it was in the 18th century. Very likely, um, walking and uh, biking trails uh, will be established. And there is talk of linking through uh, Cooch's Bridge through biking and hiking to perhaps Iron Hill Park right across 896, to Cooch Diet Mill um, south of the old Baltimore Pike, adjacent to property that our family still owns down there, to Sunset Lake, um, which is um, further south toward Route 40, and then even to Newcastle County Park at Glasgow, a large park. And wouldn't that be wonderful if uh, all the properties could be uh, joined? Um, so that's a sort of um, dream for the future, but where there's a will, there's a way. And in this connection of preservation, um, I'd like to mention that my wife, Barbara, has been very supportive of efforts to preserve Cooch's Bridge. She's been active in historical organizations in her own right and many uh, civic groups. And I might just uh, add that at the time of the public announcement of the state's uh, upcoming acquisition of the house and the 10 acres, my sister Ann Dora and I uh, gave, in a formal way, five cannonballs that have been long on the mantelpiece in the living room of Christmas Bridge to the state to symbolize um, the new partnership between the Cooch family and the state of Delaware because it's a whole new chapter uh, for Cooch's Bridge, and I do think the right one. That's truly wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all that history and all the future history you hope to make with the various sites that were formerly owned by the Cooch family. And to all of our listeners, come back next week to hear a little bit more about what's being planned for these sites.